The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm Dr. Nigel Finch, and joining me from Melbourne is my guest, Michelle Gallagher, CEO of ASX listed MedTech Minnow, Opal Limited. Now, Opal emerged under the ticker code OPL in November 2019 as the refreshed brand and the refocused business model of ShareRoot Limited. So, Opal is a MedTech scaler. It uses AI to assist its global bio, pharma and health clients collect and analyze clinical data. And with a market cap of only $2 million, many investors may have overlooked Opal, but I think this new generation company is worth getting to know. And look, there's no better way to do this than jump straight in with Opal's CEO, Michelle Gallagher. So Michelle, Telstra Victorian Businesswoman of the Year, Victorian Entrepreneur of the Year, inducted into the Victorian Honour Roll for Women, Westback Business of Tomorrow Award. Is there anything that I've missed? <laughs> no, I think that's about it. That'll do. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's certainly uh, a, a lot of achievements. You know, look, prior to Opal, you've had a very exciting career in health, in biotech and medical research in Australia. You've been touched on areas in IVF, stem cell technology, even the regulation of gene technology. And most recently, I think you were CEO of the peak body for medtech and biotech in Victoria. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, pretty extensive career and also what brought you to this leadership role at Opal? Yeah, sure. Um, I started my career as uh, an orthoptist, which is in allied health. So you work, you find them working with ophthalmologists, either in surgery or neurologists. Um, but I had a real passion for health and I thought that would be a great career. But I, I fairly quickly worked out that I don't really like working with patients and I'm not very good in surgery because I tended to throw up. So that, I needed to do a bit of a pivot there. Um, but I ended up in pharmaceutical marketing and then from there into biotechnology. But it was when I was chief executive of the BioMelbourne Network, the peak body for biotech in Victoria, and representing a sector that was worth about um, $80 billion, a key, um, I guess, an objective of the network was to make sure we were telling the story about Australian biotech, particularly listed biotech and medtechs around the world. And this was 2008. Uh, and I recognised that social media was one of those emerging channels that I didn't think was going to go away. And so we used it really extensively at BioMelbourne Network to ridiculously valuable effect. And so that inspired the development to get into a startup around social media to focus on health and to work out how we use this data to really transform life sciences. And here we are now. Mm. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that Opal is a inverted commas, new generation company. You use your own words to describe Opal as working at this intersection of AI, social media and healthcare. Look, that sounds really interesting and you've certainly piqued my interest, but I'm afraid I don't understand that intersection. Can you, can you help me and our listeners get a better understanding of what your products and services you provide uh, to your customers and, and really how you generate revenue? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we believe in the principle of real world data. So this is a, a phrase that has emerged in the last sort of year and a half, two years, and it really came from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA in America. And they were talking about the emergence of data and how health data was going to be um, not just a, a really valuable thing for the pharmaceutical and, and medical research industry, but data was also going to be a value opportunity for medtech and biotech. So real world data is largely clinical data. So that comes from electronic health records, from imaging, from um, claims data, uh, all sorts of stuff like that, but it's all objective. But they also included social media in the description of real-world data. And frankly, most, most companies that emerged in the last two years around real-world data have done nothing with social media. So I know, and, and this is how the company's been built, is we know that a lot of people are very willing to share their health status to social media. So suddenly social media became this fantastic repository of information about people and their healthcare, what they were doing to manage it, the concerns that they had, the products that they tried, the products they didn't work. And we could see that doctors were on social media as well. So the way that we generate revenue right now is we do social media for a number of organisations, including pharmaceutical companies, medical research institutes, startup biotechs, scale-up medtechs, government, universities, quite a few different um, clients. So we create content and it's quite sophisticated content because all of my team are either PhD, science or healthcare qualified and then they've all got postgraduate degrees in marketing or communications or digital design. So we generate revenue by being a, a content creation agency but a very highly specialised one. We also invest in a research, a number of research platforms, but one of the key platforms is taking healthcare data shared to social media and using artificial intelligence to interrogate it. So early on, this is already generating some early revenue and pharmaceutical companies are deeply interested in this and COVID has only increased their interest in social media. Um, but we're also developing platforms in which we can capture data around health from social media and other wearables or apps and finding ways to interrogate them. So we've got a near-term revenue opportunity and a longer-term research and value opportunity. All right, it's making a bit more sense to me. So who are your customers and what value do they get from using Opal? Yeah, so our customers are... A number of pharmaceutical companies so csl is a customer of ours uh, we have all the universities so many of them get us to create data um, sorry to create content for social media around a certain healthcare area so one of them might be monash nutrition department of nutrition at monash university so we create all of the content for their social media um, we make animations, we make videos, we write blogs and opinion leadership, we manage communities. But a big emerging service that we have is recruiting patients to clinical trials through social media. So it's, it's an area of the business that it, we've bootstrapped initially. Uh, and, and so this has been an important part for us is we need to validate the need for the services that we're developing and we're validating it based on revenue. So our clients are saying, we love it, we think it's great, but we want more. And so that's our research arm that's then developing the platforms that can give them more. 
Mm. So there's a there's a kind of a social media agency frame to this there's um there's this recruitment into clinical trials but i'm also aware that you've been investing in r d and you've got your own clinical trial prediction software using artificial intelligence can you tell us a little bit about this project and some of the other ip developed by opal this is a really exciting project so i've been an advocate for clinical trials for years i also sit on the board of cancer trials australia so australia's largest cancer clinical trials network and also Praxis, which is um, a a clinical trials ethics platform and um, education opportunity. So I'm a big advocate for clinical trials. Australia is very good at clinical trials. So what we wanted to do is we saw a paper that was published last year, and we've always been thinking about how do we add value to the clinical trials sector. So most clinical trials um, are cancelled and just fail to progress because of recruitment. So recruiting through social media is reducing the risk of those clinical trials. So it's the biggest unmet need in the clinical trial industry. We've got a recruitment solution. But the second part was how do we predict the outcome of clinical trials? What if AI could actually tell us the answer about how likely is it that this trial is going to complete How likely is it that it's going to recruit? What's the optimal recruitment number? And what if we could use AI to design the perfect trial based on every trial that's gone before in that therapeutic area? So we saw this paper published last year through MIT and it was beginning this conversation and it's been, yeah, a really eventful sort of nine months now, but we've built our proof of concept. We've ingested over 300,000 clinical trials and we think our platform is going to be able to design the perfect clinical trial protocol. Michelle, you've had leadership experience in a host of different businesses. At, at one end of the spectrum, you know, very mature businesses, and at the other ones, you know, startup businesses. Opal is classified as a scale-up. Can you explain to our audience what a scale-up is? Yeah, I'm really keen to ensure that Opal is seen as a scale-up, not a startup. Because I think, first of all, a startup um, is a certain mentality, and that's something that we're working very hard to progress from. I think a startup is a business that's five years old or less. We're more than five years old. So we've had a bit of a history and a name change, but the, the truth is we're more than five years old. But for me, a scale-up has three sort of really critical components that are really us. And the first is we're really developing our culture. So we're moving from the startup thinking methodology or or that mindset into a scale-up mindset. So we can't keep doing what we're doing. We have to do more and we've got to do it smarter and we've got to automate it. The second thing is around operation, and I call this fanatical discipline because it's about getting your ducks in the row, governance framework, codification of the process, platforms. And then I think the final thing around a scale-up that we're working really hard to do is about financial sustainability, and that is making sure we can scale the client and the client offering and therefore revenue, but also that we're creating exponential additional value in the investment in R&D and ensuring that we have the talent to deliver that long-term. So I think at the very heart of it, it's a mindset around scale-up But the second part of it is around tools, technologies, processes and people that get us into that scale-up stage. And we've we've approached scale-up from a partnership perspective as well. 
As a CEO, what are some of the challenges that you've uh, experienced and overcome in transitioning from, you know, a, a business concept then to a sort of an early stage startup and then into a scale up? Yeah, when I first started the business, it, it was a private business. It was called The Social Science and I started that nearly six years ago in July. Um, and I'm glad that I was a little bit naive because if I'd known how hard it was, I probably wouldn't have done it, would have stayed in a really big, you know, easy, successful job. Um, scale up is much harder than startup, but startup takes um, just such a lot of guts and grit to get something off the ground. So it's been really exciting to go through that phase. And as much as I used to be around a lot of startups when I was at Buy Melbourne Network, you don't really know it until you know it, till you feel it. Um, so I think the biggest challenge for me was um, the first one was always around cash flow and making sure I could deliver something to clients that really was a value, that it wasn't just another offering. It was something really unique. Um, I guess for me too, I think one of the best challenges has been I challenged myself to complete an MBA just recently. And so, you know, sure, everybody in the business has lots of qualifications, but being able to step back and create that MBA, um, it's joining of the dots. It's not like you're learning something that you didn't know before. You, you, you're reinforcing your learning, but you're understanding why it all happens and I think that's given me the opportunity to really see it as scale uh, and to move into that space. But, yeah, for me, I think the biggest challenge has probably been the personal one of carving out time, making sure it sticks, um, sticking to the plan and not going off down a rabbit hole. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's it's been a great experience, but it's certainly not for everyone. No, there's certainly uh, – oh, I congratulate you on that on that achievement – now, I just want to pick up on something that you just mentioned. You seem to be in, in, implying uh, around this startup thing. Do you think that there's a danger for a company to wallow too long in its startup phase? I think this is a huge danger for companies to stay in the startup mentality. Startup needs a mindset. And the mindset around startup is you do whatever it takes whatever it takes. And it means that you go beyond that that final boundary. Um, Scale-up needs that fanatical discipline that I talked about, about saying that this is how it's going to happen and this is what it's, what it's going to be. I see so many businesses get, um, they fall in love with the startup narrative that we're celebrating startups in this country at the moment and we're valuing startups. You know, it's something that the government wants to see is more startups. But I think particularly coming out of a COVID lockdown environment, it's going to be scale-ups that actually build the wealth of this country. So, you know, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm in the scale-up space at the moment. But I think it's so easy to get sucked into this startup narrative. I think what investors really want is to see companies that are ambitious. So if you stay stuck in this startup mentality, it's also got a subliminal message, I think, that you're happy to keep it rough and ready. And that's not what I want. Mm. And uh, and maybe uh, being unprofitable and um, yep. you know exposing shareholders to risk. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I agree with you. I think that there's uh, too many businesses that wear this startup as a as a badge of honour and, and wear it for far far too long. Look, um, 
I want to put another question to you. You know, would you agree that uh, for all businesses, not just med techs like your own, the product or the service is certainly focal, but it's not always the singular importance. Rather, what is equally or even more important are the people, the processes, the partnerships, the operational frameworks. Where do you see these intangible aspects fitting in the kind of, um, you know, the importance of the business? Yeah, for me, um, I'd absolutely and very quickly jump to people. So without the people that I've got in this business, we've got nothing. We've got absolutely nothing. You know, technology, good, I say this all the time to our clients, good science and good technology does not speak for itself. And if you can, you can have the situation where you've got great technology, but if you've got crap people that really don't understand how to commercialise it or really don't understand how to sell it, you, you've still got nothing. So I think investing in the right people and the right culture in the business is so worth it. You know, one of the things that we've done is we've spent quite a bit of time trying to recognise our thinking and to change our thinking, but also we've spent a lot of time as a business talking about what are the skills we need to be able to grow our people into the scale um, pathway. And so I think if, if looking at a business, I, I certainly recognise scale-ups by their investment in education of their people. Um, I also look at um, how quickly businesses turn over people. So if people are held for a really long time, I think that's a bad thing. If they're held for a really short time, that's equally bad. So I'd say straight away it's about culture and people, and if you can't get that right, you've got no hope of scaling. You also mentioned the importance of partnerships. So what are some of the important part partnerships that Opal's developed and, and what could they do to deliver value to the Opal shareholders? I think partnerships are really critical and it's, it's something that I've not actually heard a lot about from the scale um, community is talking about the importance of partnerships. So early on when we did a competitor analysis and looking at our value offering, we recognised a number of global businesses out there that we saw as potential competitors. But um, part of my thinking is I often look at a competitor and ask the question, what if they were my collaborator? What if, what if we could leverage each other? So we started out looking for a competitor that had a similarly aligned product or service but was bigger than us and more established than us. So we found Human. They're based in the UK. They're an extraordinary company that have been, they're about 10 years old. They've worked in the pharmaceutical marketing area for a long time. They know a lot more about it than what we do. And they create digital solutions around pharma marketing. So that's websites, apps, digital experiences, games, all sorts of stuff. So we saw them as a potential partner because they had a very weak well, not very weak, but they had a, an underdeveloped offering in social media and they had a really intense desire to get into it. And we had um, an artificial intelligence offering that they could see significant value in. So we partnered with them. We announced that in February and it's been extraordinary. It's been so valuable. We've learnt so much from human and I think we've added huge value to human. And now what together we offer the market globally is a really fantastic end-to-end -end digital experience service that uh, marketing can use in, in big pharma and big med tech. And Michelle, what announcements can we expect to see over the coming quarters from Opal? 
Yeah, so announcements coming forward, I'm really excited about the development of our R&D platform, particularly around the clinical trial predictor tool and our deep social media listening opportunities. So these are two R&D projects. The deep social media listening is already generating early revenue, and this is where human have a really deep interest with us. And we're pitching together to pharma companies. So that pitching began in February as soon as we made the announcement. And that's been going hammer for tongs even during COVID. It hasn't slowed down. It's actually been a bit of an accelerator for us as pharma companies have their sales team stuck at home. And they're now looking at social media and deep social listening as a way of um, keeping their sales force occupied, but also building their opportunity. I think from us, you'll definitely see some announcements around the development of the platform, but also the development of new clients accessing the deep social media listening. Uh, For us, I'd like to think that we can put out some announcements pretty soon around the development of the business as a whole. Um, In terms of the people and the people we've got associated with the business, that's continuing to grow. The COVID environment has been really good to us. Initially, it was it was nerve-wracking because we did lose a, fl- a, few, a few of our clients that were very exposed either in the university sector or in the events, scientific and medical events sector. So we used to do a lot of work around um, medical conferences and events and also clinical trial recruitment has slowed down a little bit. But in the last six weeks, we've seen it accelerate forward. So we've now got more... Um, it, new client inquiries than we've ever had before. We've got more active proposals in market than, honestly, we can almost handle. So I'm hoping that we can announce the conversion of quite a few of those in the next sort of few weeks to maybe a month. Well, we'll be certainly watching. So, Michelle, in 20 seconds or less, can you tell us why investors should be investing in Opal? I think there's two really good reasons to invest in Opal, and that is the COVID environment has increased social media's value to the whole community, Um, in particular around health and clinical trials. I think our offering around clinical trial recruitment and deep social media listening is something that now the pharma and medtech industry are switched on to. And I think the second thing is because we've got our ducks in a row when we're ready to scale, I think the human partnership is critical to our success. And I think our investment in our R&D platforms is progressing as expected, exactly on budget and on time. And I think by the end of the year, we should be ready to roll that out and have it really rocking. So thank you to my guest, Michelle Gallagher, Chief Executive Officer of Opal, for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice daily newsletters for ASX market coverage, company profiles and industry insights.